Oh, so today's daf is daf Dalid. We pick up with the Mishnah on the bottom of Gimel and Bet. Um, I actually, I think I just, whatever, slightly misread a line, uh, just to quickly correct it. At the end of yesterday, right before it begins, um, the Mishnah begins, it said, um, you know, the issue about the Kohanim that were claiming that they didn't have to contribute because then it would be a korban for the Kohanim. So, we're going to read this. It was just one line just for the sake of accuracy. It was saying that the position of Ben Bukhri is humosiv lawn. He challenged the Chachamim and said, Zulo nidvas yachid. Isn't it? This is like the, you know, when, when the Kohanim give, they're actually giving private funds and doesn't that make the korban a private korban? And the response is the Inu and Mosfin and Lay, and they would respond to him, So essentially explained it correct, but I think what I missed yesterday was that that was the exchange between the two sides. And their response was, you cannot claim this is an individual korban. Once you're giving it for the communal korban, even if it comes from individual funds, it becomes communal funds, and therefore the Kardians claim that they are exempt, according to, um, according to Rabbi Yochanan Zaka, it was completely spurious, although they did it, obviously, toward their own benefit. And now we pick up in the next Mishnah, so let's take a look. Bottom of Gimel Amadvet. Um, even though they said you do not uh, seize the property for the debt of women, slaves, and minors who to pay the half shekel because they aren't even obligated to half shekel, but so you would seize property after a certain period um, um, of the uh, for 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 the men for the men, but not for these for the free men, but not for these. But if they actually want to give, you certainly will accept their money, and that's not a problem. We actually learned yesterday about the ketanim once they are bar mitzvahed, even if even though they're under twenty, twenty becoming the age patterned after the shekel of the Torah one area in halach where 20 matters um, but by Ketanim you actually ask them to give once they're bar mitzvah and under 20 uh, here the Mishnah says that you don't ask but you will accept donations but of course if they don't give you will not be mimashkein you will not seize their property um, since because I had meant to read yesterday because we mentioned this idea of mimashkein seizing property which might seem a little harsh in the context of giving this money for korbanot and so on I wanted to just read you a line from the Tosefton about this idea of mimashkenin, of seizing property. Um, and it says like this. It says, Mishkenu Yisrael al-Shiklehem, so hitchilu lemashkein, they would begin right by the 25th of, of Adar, when it was getting very close and people hadn't given, they would begin to seize property, hold it in collateral. Mishkenu Yisrael al-Shiklehem, kideshu korbanos tzibor krevi mehem, in order that it could be a communal sacrifice. And then the Tosefta gives a fascinating mushal. Somebody had some type of an injury on his leg. And the doctor would have to cut, tie him down and cut out, excise, you know, this, uh, the, um, the, uh, the uh, um, what do you call it, the infested, uh, um, infected, thank you, in the infected uh, skin, uh, in order to heal him. So, so says God, you know, take the property in order that they give their shekel. So, <laughs> so very, there's a Tosefta Perak Aleph Tosefta Bet. So fascinating little mashal. It recognizes the almost the how my God, you're talking about giving to the korbanos, and all of a sudden you talk about seizing property. He says, yes, yeah, in your best interest. This way, it's truly a communal sacrifice, and you have a portion. Sometimes we have to do things against your will that we know are in your best interest. Well, I'm thinking, I mean, 
It can't be that it's using that much. How much is a half shekel? Like 25 cents? Right. Far, it was worth far more in ancient times. And the price of silver plummeted by about 90%. How much would have that been? Okay, Michael, we are very wealthy comparative. If you have, if all you have to your name is a chicken, then a half a shekel is right. a lot of money. It's not like you're taking their, like, house, you know, or their land. All right. Assume like you have a house. Silver right. back then was probably worth what gold is today. Okay, so let's keep on going. So that's the idea of Mimaskine. Now, it seems obvious that you'll take funds. Yeah, okay, we won't seize property. If you want to donate, sure, we'll take money. But not, let, let's continue reading the Mishnah. However, if the non-Jew or the Samaritan want to contribute a shekel, you refuse to accept it. Because wow. this is a fascinating idea. But recognize, this is not necessarily money that's just going into our general operating funds. This is money that's going into the Corbano Tzibor. So the Tzibor represents the Tzibor. If you want to bring your own Corban or you want to just make a Stama donation, doesn't hate. But the Corban Tzibor represents the Jewish community. And therefore, this is a place where we're going to draw the lines in terms of who do we assume is part of the community and not part of the community. Um, so, um, so, okay. The Ein Mekabli Miyadan, and not only do you not accept those contributions, but you also don't accept contributions from them of Kine Zavin the Kine Zavot, birds brought for a Zavin a Zava, which is interesting, it doesn't even apply to non Jews. The Kine Yoledes, or birds brought for a Yoledes sacrifice, the Chatos Rashemos and sin offerings, meaning that they can give free will offerings. You want to make Stama contribution of funds, you want to bring a Korban that's an Ola, free will Korban, but a Korban that is an obligation that's part of your Jewish being part of the Jewish community the sense of obligatory korbanot is part of a Jewish obligation that is something that we will refuse to accept from somebody that is not part of the community this is the rule anything that is um, you know free will contribution we will accept from them anything that is not free will that is some sense of obligation and shekel also is obligatory um, you do not accept it from their hand. And this is actually clear in the Pesukim in Ezra. This is when actually the Samaritans, when they came back to the land in the Bychanian, the Samaritans first were very opposed and giving them a lot of tzaras. And at a certain stage they said, hey, participate with you. And the response was, no, this is the house of our God. This is not your temple. It's our temple. And they wanted to actually draw those lines um, and say that, you know, that, uh, that on the one hand, you know, we'll accept contributions, but on the other hand, you know, in certain areas, but on the other hand, not in a way that's going to blur the sense of what is the boundaries of our community and whose temple is this. Because obviously, you know, if they're, you know, because particularly in those times, you could have also imagined that if they would have accepted the money, then the claim would have been that it's not just a Jewish temple, it's a Samaritan temple as well, and so on, yes. So there are Tanaic opinions that the Samaritans actually do count. So the Gemara will discuss this, that. This apparently is so the Gemara will discuss that. It's clear from the Psukim that whether technically they counted, let's say, at an individual level as a Jew, uh-huh. you know, you pre- presented yourself and you wanted to, you know, as a Samaritan, and I don't know, you wanted to, re- you know, whatever, do something as an individual, but clearly they existed as a distinct community uh-huh. and as a distinct and almost, you know, um, um, antagonistic community, at least in the early Temple times. 
time. So the idea that as a you know you want to draw those communal boundaries, even if like technically the person might be Jewish, it raises those interesting questions, right? Because the question were Samaritans Jewish or not is an abstract halachic issue, but there's also facts on the ground about how they organize themselves as a distinct community, and that was at both sides of the equation, right? So, but we will discuss that when we get to the Gemara. Um, now the mission turns into a different. These are a couple of mishnayot I should say strung together. This is a totally different point, which is a kalbon is basically a small amount, um, a whatever, whatever we'll find out what exactly it is, like a four percent or something, or um, um, of uh, a fee that was given to the money changer. And presumably, what this was about was if you bring not an exact half shekel, you bring in a shekel, and you expect change, so they take a little bit of a commission. Okay, so this was the money changer's commission. Okay, so the following people are obligated to pay this money changer's commission. Okay, so all the people that are obligated in the in the shekel. But not Now, not women, slaves, and minors. So women, slaves, and minors, we understand. They're exempt. And therefore, if you want to contribute, you know, we're not going to also charge you a commission if you're just being nice and giving a free contribution to the half shekel. But Kohanim, presumably, we are uh, going like Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai, are obligated. Uh, but nevertheless, remember, even if Kohanim are obligated, we don't, we're not mimashkein. We don't seize the property out of kavod. We don't want to sort of, you know, so therefore, presumably, in a similar vein, we would say, even though you're obligated, we'll sort of go easy. Yeah, we'll, we'll, professional courtesy, exactly. <laughs> and we're going to waive the small little money changer's fee. Okay? You know, anyway, you had to make them feel important because they were obviously resisting giving in the first place. Are they employees of the temple, essentially? What? Where does this money change? Yeah, employees of the temple. Okay? I mean, there's a question whether they sort of, whether they, what, what, what do you call it? Um, um, uh, uh, what do you, um, that was not, yeah, not, yeah, but I was actually saying, like, you know, contracted it out. Whether they subcontracted the actual, but that process. Operators, then why can't they charge their commission? Right, so we're going to see that this was not the choice exactly. It was not the choice of the individual money changers. These were people, like it says, they set up their tables in the Beit HaMikdash. These were people that were employees of the Beit HaMikdash. Right. Hashokel Ayyadeh Kohen, Ayyadeh Isha, Ayyadeh Evet, Ayyadeh Katan, Patur. Let's say you go ahead and you say, I'm going to give a whole shekel, uh, two half, which is two half shekels, right? So you don't have to break it in, you only have to break it in two if you're going to give me change. But I'm going to make it easy on you. You don't have to give me change. I'm giving this whole shekel for me and my friend the Kohen, or for me and for my wife, or for me and for my child. So somebody that normally, if they were giving themselves, wouldn't pay anyway a money changer fee. So in that type of a case, even though you're paying, but you don't, you're doing it for you and for somebody who would be exempt, you're exempt. Of course, the other point being, you're giving a whole shekel, they don't even have to make change. Okay, yeah, so, we'll, I understand, but interestingly, we're going to see it does make a difference. Okay, but if one of the people you're giving for is exempt and you're giving a whole shekel, then you don't pay this fee. Um, now that's a very strange idea. I'm giving a shekel, this is for me and for Michael, then I I actually have to pay the fee, even though if I was giving, even though nobody has to make change for me. So this becomes, I really can't explain it, this somehow just becomes a standard fee that is charged, and somehow we say, since if each of you were giving individually, you would each give a fee, even though now you're joining together, and we don't even have to break up the money, you know, it's sort of like, you know, what was that thing from the line in the fiddle of the work, because you had a bad day, why should I suffer, you know, just because, just because you're giving together, why should we not get our money changes? Of course, there's an obvious reason you're not making change. But, okay, 
Uh, so you'll pay one fee. You won't pay two fees, but you still have to pay one. I really can't explain it. Okay. Like this, that's the case anyway, because if you're talking about shekels or half shekels, when you need the money changers for, presumably the the treasury has an over oversupply of money can change. Right. That's so a good point. Kind of so maybe you're meaning. So what you're saying is really it's not so much for the for the cost of it's really just like a fee for the for, for, for the service of being there that's a good way of thinking about it or you just had to hire people you had to hire people to sit there and collect the money so that's a good way of thinking about it you know that's a good way of thinking about it that it's not actually for the cost of making the change it's for the cost of doing the whole of running the whole right running the whole running the whole business right 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 like a transact that's a good example like an online transaction fee or something like that. Okay, no, but it's a very good point. I'm always thinking about it as a fee for making for making change. But you're right; it's really a fee for the whole transaction. That's a much better way of thinking about it. Okay, so even though you've bundled it up in one transaction, you still have to be pay at least one fee, not two fees. It's that's better. Think of it like as a transaction fee. Um, so interestingly, though, when you've bundled it up with somebody that's exempt, you get exempt as well. You 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 piggyback on their exemption. Okay, for Rav Meir Omer Bez Kobonot, Rav Meir says no, even in that case you pay two fees, even though it was one transaction. And we'll see in the Gemara why this is. Basically, I'll just tell you that Rav Meir feels that no shekel will ever be like, you know, one way of understanding the Gemara is will ever be completely pure. Will always have some impurities. So like as a little bit of a, you know, of, of a margin of error, you know, a little bit of making sure you have the full amount, you add a little so bit extra. Shekel, then, and why it, it is. Every, he says, even if you give a straight half shekel, you always have to pay this fee. So every half shekel requires a little margin of error, a little extra bit, so according to Rev. Mayer. That, so that assume that that little, that commission goes to the yes yeah, so then there's going to be a discussion where does the money go to ah. and according to Rebbe Mayer it, do, it goes to the same yeah, fund and that's an excellent point how we think about the purpose of this fee it's debated in the Tosefta what this is done with this money and not surprisingly Rebbe Mayer says this money goes to the Korbanot Sibor goes the exact same place the Shekel goes whereas others say no it goes to the Shulchani and it goes to other types of, of, of sort of temple funds so that's an excellent point so according to the Chachamim I think it's been Thank you very well sort of said it's not really uh, the fee for making change it's a transaction fee if you do one transaction even though it's two you only pay one Rebbe Mayer says no it's an extra amount you add to every half shekel Hanotin Sela Venoto Shekel now it's a little confusing here because Sela in the Mishnah was actually the Shekel of the Torah and Shekel of the Mishnah was actually the half Shekel of the Torah just to confuse you mm-hmm. so you give a Sela and you get back a Shekel which basically means you gave a Shekel and you got back your half Shekel okay so you actually made change here in this case Chayev Shnei Kobonot you pay two of these fees so again I didn't understand it but I think what you said is very helpful in this case you pay two one is the transaction fee and one is the change fee so actually in this case right any transaction you pay this fee for cost and in this case you're also making change so you actually pay um, another yeah, of course, um, it wouldn't make too much sense I mean, right because there's impurity then why do I have to pay two alright so let's see as the mission continues Hashokel Ayyidei Ani Valyidei Shechino Valyidei Beniro let's say you are 
as, now this, the way this is assumed to be different than the case before when you're giving for yourself and your friend is there you are lending your friend the money here you actually are being a tzaddik and you're paying for another person you're not lending them the money I'm giving a shekel for me and for that poor person near my house I'm just going to give it to him so he doesn't have to take it out of his own pocket in that case where you're being such a tzaddik uh, that's sort of clear from the Ani not so clear from Shechino and Benny Rowe but in that case Patur will waive the transaction fee okay so if you're giving for two people but both of you are really giving will charge the fee but if one of if, if you're basically being nice to somebody and paying for them you get a, wa- you get a waiver of the fee yeah, but if you're only lending them the money so that turns up to the earlier case then Chayav you still have to pay that transaction fee we're not worrying about Rav right now so brothers who are some read this as two cases we'll read it for simplicity as one brothers who are partners who are obligated in the Kalbon are exempt from Meister Behemoth what does this mean? it means that one of the few places in Halacha that you find the idea of a corporate entity is in the idea of a, an, a state that has not yet been divided an estate that has not yet been divided that was inherited by, you know, brothers, by children. Um, in that case, it's own, multiple people own it, but it does, it's not a partnership. It's not like multiple separate owners, each one as an individual, you know, sort of partner. It's the corporate entity of the estate. Mm-hmm. And as that, as that, it's conceptually like one person, right? Is a corporation a person, right? Was a whole recent Supreme Court thing. So that's one person. So if that estate owns um, animals, the halacha is, is if you're a shutaf in an animal, it's exempt from Meister Behema. So if that estate owns animals, they're chayv and Meister Behema, if it exists as an estate, as a single entity. And similarly, if you're one entity, you are exempt in multiple kolbanot because you're only one. Now, even if that entity has to give for all of the brothers... So that's sort of, by some unfortunate, that's compared to the idea of like the father who gives for his children, and therefore, right, when you give for your children, you don't play the kalbon. So even though it, even though it might have to give multiple half shekels, fundamentally it's one entity, and therefore it does not pay multiple kolbanot, um, and it's exempt from the kalbon. If, however, they divided the estate and then they re- regrouped as some type of a partnership, then as a partnership, it's not a corporation. And as a partnership, they would be exempt from Meister Behema. Partnership is exempt from Meister Behema. And they'd be hive and call them because there are multiple individuals joined together as opposed to one corporate entity. Interesting to note that although many Mepharshim read this as one case, Achim Hashutafim, brothers who are partners, Rambam actually reads it as two, and Rambam actually allows for an idea of a normal partnership becoming somewhat like a corporation, which is for us obvious, but actually it is very hard to find in the halachic literature the concept of a corporation. Rambam actually thinks that something like that can exist and sees that you can even have a partnership that works like this estate and like a corporation. So let's read that again. When this type of partnership estate is obligated in the Kabbalah, meaning that it's a partnership, they're exempt from Meister Behema. When they're obligated in Meister Behema, then they are one estate, and then they're exempt from the Kabbalah, because it's like one entity. How much is the Kabbalah? Rebbe Meir says a Ma'ah, which is a 24th of a, um, of a Sela, which as a Sela is a, is a full shekel, not a half shekel. So that would be a twelfth of the half shekel. The Chamim Amichatzi Ma'ah, the Chamim say a twenty-fourth. So according to the Chachamim, it's about four percent added to your half shekel. I don't know what normal commission fee is. It's probably less than four percent. Okay, yes, Mike, what's your question? 
I wonder so what's the difference between let's say you're paying for me, uh, you know, when when or loaning me, then you're hiring this thing. You say, oh no no no, we're partners. I mean, because uh, if you're partners, every individual is obligated, and then um, and then it's a case of like, um, you, you at most you would have a case of hilvehu, right? If one person is giving, but at that, then at least it's higher for you know for one cowbone. Whereas if you're giving for somebody else. I'm saying, like, what's how, how let, let, You know, let's hold off on it, okay? I want to get, I want to get a little bit further into Gemara. We'll worry about the Achim uh, Shutfim in a minute. Yes. Can I ask a yeah. question? Al Yad or Al Yaday usually means through the agency of right. So this is an idiomatic. Is yeah, it's true. You could say it means the Evet is the one paying, but no, it's clear here it means for the sake so of right, right. That's, that's correct. Right, you would have thought the roles are reversed. That's correct. Let's take a look at the Gemara. Afobishamru. So the Gemara says, even though we said, you know, you, you don't, you're, you're not, you don't take seize the property of a katan, but you'll accept gifts. It sounds like, though, you won't make any demands. Here, meaning based on the earlier mission, you remember yesterday we say we actually ask minors to give. And here you're saying we don't ask, we'll only accept if they give. No, the resolution is when they have two hair, pubic hairs, they're bar mitzvah, then we'll make demands, but we won't actually obligate it, we'll ask, we won't obligate it until they're 20 years old. When our mission, but it sounds like you don't even ask for it, um, that is when they are under bar mitzvah. Okay, now we get to the new point, which is not accepting it from non-Jews and Samaritans. Hanachi v'hakuti. So the Gemara says, um, I'm a Rebbe boss, so it says Rebbe boss, Rebbe Abba probably is, um, Tifter, you should explain it, command Amar, Kuti Knochri. This is going according to the, to the opinion that says, like, as, as Charlie pointed out, a uh, Kuti is like a non-Jew. He's mm-hmm. because this is a debate. Kuti Knochri Dive Rebbe. Rebbe says this American has the status of a non-Jew. They did not really convert. Um, no, they're actually Jews. They actually did convert. So, so, that, so it sounds like they're non-Jews. So I'm Rebbe Lezer, no. Masnisin b'nochrim. Our Mishnah is talking about non-Jews. Habakutim, low, but not by Samaritans. Now, what does that mean? The Mishnah explicitly says, Hanachri v'asuti shishaklu ein mekabli miyadan. So what he is saying, the way the Mephorshim tried to explain what he is saying is, it's going on the second part of it. When it says, when they bring different korbanot, zavim, Zovos, Yoledes, Chatos, Shamos, etc. There it's not so clear anymore exactly who we're talking about. And he says that's only about non Jews. Samaritans, you would accept their korbanot. And the logic here is, I think what I said before when I responded to Charlie, which is technically they could be, he's saying, you say our mission is only assuming Samaritans are non Jews. Not necessarily. Samaritans might be Jews. But in the context of the Korbanot Sibur, you know, and if you look at the Pasuk in Ezra, building the Beit HaMikdash, where they, were, they had a whole different temple and they clearly were a distinct community and so on, it was very important at that stage to draw communal lines, even if technically speaking, they were Jews. On the other hand, when it comes to as an individual, they want to bring a Korban, they want to make a donation, so then you can accept it from them. So the second part of our Mishnah actually 
But only by non-Jews, Samaritans would be different. Samaritans technically are Jews. There are still places that we will draw the line. By the way, Rambam rules this way. Rambam rules that, you know, you don't accept their, you know, you don't take their shekel and so on. He says, but if a Samaritan brings a korban, a chatat, even an obligatory korban, you would accept it from them. You give them wow. an opportunity. Maybe they'll want to do tshuva. Maybe they'll want to eventually, you know, become like a rabbinic Jew and not a Samaritan Jew. So it's interesting thinking about the question of personal status as opposed to also communal boundaries and lines. By the way, if this Gemara is disturbing people, which it might be, about insisting on these lines, I just want to point out, I don't know if this makes things better or worse, but there's actually a very sad chapter in, the, in history in terms of Samaritan-Jewish relations. You know, the... Um, the Samaritans continued um, through, well actually actually, this isn't fair, this isn't Samaritans this is Karaites, okay, but it's an interesting parallel, the Karaites you know, Karaite communities, people know, there's like a small Karaite community in Israel, whatever, there were Karaites in Eastern Europe, um, up to the time, or thousands through the time, thousands, thousands a big Karaite community Poland. in the time, in Poland at the time of the Holocaust the Karaites convinced the Nazis that they weren't Jews and the, and the Karaites actually were not, uh, you know, were not persecuted and were not, ex, you know, exterminated during the Holocaust. And the Jewish community tried to get some names of some people on the list in the Karaite communities of who was a Karaite so that they would be spared and the Karaites refused to put any non-Karaite on the list. So well, just to, you know, uh, point out about <laughs> sometimes this issue is about boundaries obviously has very tragic, tragic consequences. But, you know, anyway, so it's now worth thinking about. Well, that's also obviously, <laughs> right. So it's, it's not like it came out of nowhere. That's true. But, you know, it sometimes worked in the reverse. The carrots were, when they were stronger, were very, you know, were very uh, aggressive against rabbinic Jews as well. So, anyway, all right, back. So, let's take a look. So, anyway, so, uh, so, um, Rebelezer has a fascinating position where he says that actually the Samaritans could be Jewish, excluded from part of the Mishnah, but not from the other part of the Mishnah. So the Gemara says like this, We taught similarly, Adam, it's the passage in the beginning of the Yikra, Adam ki akriv mikem korban lo Hashem. Adam, l'rabos es ha-geirim, includes geirim. Now that's interesting, why does geirim even have to be included? Um, so it's interesting, some, some, some midrashay halacha feel a need to say that it includes geirim, even though, you know, the passage says kager, kezrach, yeah, equates a geir for all halachot. Um, other, other versions of this drasha have Adam afilu nachrim, that even a non-Jew can bring a korban, right? Because as our Mishnah indicated, a non-Jew can bring an ola, just can't bring an obligatory sacrifice. Okay, so on the one hand, we're included... Uh, uh, right, I mean, well, that's my point. Mikem, from among you, lahot yetemumrim, but an, an apostate, uh, uh, that person cannot bring a korban. <laughs> okay, so now what does that prove? So, it doesn't really prove much, um, but um, in terms of that, hold on, let me just see how the uh, Kabbalah explains what, what, proof that, what the proof there is. Um... minute. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what that's supposed to prove. Um, one minute. Let me try. Yeah, so that, what one of the Bofarkim just says is, go, Geirim obviously includes Kusin. 
So, I mean, that which is really begging the question, right? Whether the Americans were Gerim or not. So, it's a little bit unclear what that is supposed to prove. So, then let's see as the Gemara continues. Matnizim polygal Rabbi Eliezer. Our Mishnah seems to contradict Rabbi Eliezer's claim. Our Rabbi Eliezer says the end of the Mishnah is only talking about non-Jews. Let's look at the end of the Mishnah. The end of the Mishnah says, um, um, I'm sorry, I skipped the line. What does it say you don't accept, which Rabbi, the second part of the Mishnah, which Rabbi Eliezer says is talking only about non-Jews? It says obligatory sacrifices like the birds that are brought for Zav and a Zava and a woman who gave, who, had, who, who gave birth. So the Gemara says, you don't have to tell me you don't accept that from a non-Jew. Non-Jews don't even have that whole category. So obviously you don't accept it from a non-Jew. So clearly if it's saying you don't accept it, it must be talking about somebody you might have thought you would accept it from. It must be talking about a Samaritan. So the Gemara says, so it seems pretty clear that the end of the Mishnah of not accepting those Korbanot are talking about Samaritans where you might have thought you accept it. Ella... The beginning part of the Mishnah is by non-Jews. The end about not accepting from the these korbanot of the uh, like of the woman who gave childbirth. That's about Samaritans. Or maybe it was a question. Is it true? Can we say the beginning is by Nachrim and the end is by Kusim? Yes. The end is about non-Jews. The beginning is about non-Jews. The end is about Samaritans. Now, that does not make sense what this Gemara is talking about. Look, this is, you know, I, I spent a lot of time on this after, after some part of my village. I am not going to be able <laughs> to fix intrinsic problems in this text. The text is very challenging. Look, the mission says two things. It says, you do not accept a shekel from non-Jews and Samaritans. And then it says, you don't accept from them, which is an ambiguous phrase, these types of obligatory sacrifices and so on. So, Rabbi Eliezer says, our Mishnah is only talking about non-Jews. Now, the only part that's ambiguous is the second part. You don't accept from them these bird sacrifices. So the Gemara proves that that has to be talking about Samaritans because it was would have been a non-starter by non-Jews. It's only a possible discussion by Samaritans. So fine, that part is about Samaritans. So what do you mean the beginning is about non-Jews? The beginning is explicit. Mm-hmm. The beginning says you don't accept from non-Jews and Samaritans the half shekel. So the best the Mepharshim say is it means the, be- the beginning is talking about awful non-Jews. You don't accept from non-Jews and Samaritans the half shekel, and you don't accept from Samaritans, it goes without saying non-Jews, but you don't accept from Samaritans these types of bird sacrifices. At the end of the day, it means you don't accept from non-Jews and Samaritans anything. So how to say that Rabbi Eliezer still fits in the Mishnah is a real challenge, okay? It seems very clear the beginning of the Mishnah is explicit in the text, that you don't accept the half shekel from Samaritans and non-Jews, and the end by the case of talking about these obligatory bird sacrifices, it has to be addressing Samaritans as well. So although Rabbi Eliezer had a fascinating position, which is Samaritans technically could be Jewish, but we're still going to choose to exclude them from some things and not others, that seems to be rejected by the Mishnah. That being said, the Rambam actually says that if a Samaritan brings a korban, you, you accept it from him. A korban chatas. Not only an Ola. Ola you'd accept from non-Jews. So the Rambam seems somehow, I don't know how he reads our Gemara, to rule like Rabbi Eliezer and say they might be excluded from some communal things, but you would as an individual accept certain korbanos from them. Okay, so now the Gemara continues. Now the Gemara shifts to slightly easier territory. 
Reb Yochanan, uh, so Reb Yochanan, I'm a Reb Yochanan, says Reb Yochanan, Betchila ain't makapli mehem, lo davar mesuyam, velo davar sheino mesuyam. At the outset, meaning like the case in Ezra, where you're beginning to build a base on Mikdash, so at the outset, you know, where people really, it's dangerous to accept certain contributions at the outset, and people claim that they have a stake and that they're partners and so on, so at the outset, you don't accept from them, presumably now we're dealing with non-Jews, or who knows, non-Jews, Americans, anyone, you don't accept from them n- neither a, desi- a specific thing or a non-specific thing. Non-specific thing, think about the way we say money is fungible, right? Dover Misuyam is, I want to donate a menorah that's going to sit right at the front of your front yard. It's going to have my name on it, okay? So that's a little bit more questionable. Do you want to associate that with particular groups of people? You know, if you want your identity of your place to be a very particular, you know, you know identity. So he says, Dover Misuyam is more dangerous. Ain't a Misuyam is just funds. Okay, so he says, at the beginning, we don't accept funds, even, even unspecified funds, from anyone. Okay, from, from non-Jews. Okay, low dover misuyim, below dover she'ena misuyim. So, once we're underway, or once the place is built, and maybe we want to make some repairs, or various types of things, it's very clear what the identity of the place is. In that case, mikabli man dover she'ena misuyim, we can take, you know, sort of non, you know, general funds, Okay, the aim of misuyam. You cannot accept from them something specific. You can't accept from them like, you know, here's this manure that I'm giving and I want to direct it and I want a plaque on it with my name. But so that you don't do. But general funds you can accept from them. But you them. still can't. Let's say they said, I want you to take this money and buy it. So we'll talk about that. Let's say they give you funds and they say what you, and they yeah. want to designate what you want to do with it. So we'll see if it's something like that in a little bit. Reish Lucky, Shrib Shimon Lucky Shamar, Bain Bethila Bain Besof, I don't care beginning or end. You don't take from them neither specific objects or even just general funds. So I assume Rish Lakish never had to actually raise money for any of these projects. <laughs> but these things, what? There's also so much need, though, that there was a tremendous amount of interactivity on the communal level. Yeah. That's I mean, look, when, you, when they dug up these synagogues in Eretz Israel, you see inscriptions about, you know, and who they receive funds from. And I think sometimes it's clear that they receive funds from non-Jews, and there are actually inscriptions about that, if, I, if memory serves correctly. And this means in Right. And this means him as well. Yeah. Presumably non-Jews, yes. Also I don't know. Okay, let's take a look. Masnisin Pligyal Rebbe Yochanan. The Breita, Masnisa probably, Pligyal Rebbe Yochanan, argues on Yochanan. What does the Breita say? It says, you don't accept from them, again, then generic, non-Jews and Kutim, presumably, um, sanctified objects and donations for Bedekabayas. Now, Bedekabayas is like general operating funds, but it also more specifically means like, uh, you know, funds for repairs. So presumably it's talking about even at the end of the, once the place is built, Beis HaMikdash is built. Also, there's an interesting question. Are they talking about just the Beis HaMikdash? Are they talking about even local synagogues? How, you know, how globally do they mean to apply this? Okay, but anyway, it says you don't accept from them these funds for better Kabayas. Is that me? For, sorry, for better Kabayas. Um, and it does not distinguish between um, you know, whether, again, whether it is specified or non-specified, it's even non-specified, it's even at the end of the process. So, Patrla, so here you can explain it, Bain Betchila Bain Besov, yes, we are talking about whether at the outset or at the end of the process, okay, but, Ubilvad Davar Misuyam, when it says you don't accept from them, it doesn't just mean funds, it means you don't accept from them specific objects to be used, okay, so that's what you don't accept. So you're right, it sounds like 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 Reish Lakish, that you never accept anything from them, but we'll say it's talking about when it's speaking about very concrete, specific types of objects. 
says you never accept from them anything beginning or end whether specific or non-specific the following Mishnah argues on Reish Lakish. It's a Mishnah in Erchin. Titani, we taught. Hakol Shavin, it talks about non-Jews making an Erech, right? If you say, the value of this person is on me, so that's called Ma'arich, and if you're Ne'erach, you're the person who's being, he's being evaluated. So it says, and there was an issue about non-Jews being part of the Erech process. So the Mishnah continues and says, Hakol Shavin, everybody agrees, Sheinodin Vinidrin, that even though they might not be in the category of Erech, which is a very specific type of a donation in the Torah, of a, uh, um, they all agree that non-Jews can make a neder, can make a contribution, and nidrin can be made uh, an object of a neder. Now, what that means, an object of a neder, is not exactly clear. We'll talk about that in a minute. But for us, the important thing is, it says non-Jews can make it can be no dare, can make a contribution. So presumably, that's not just talking about. Uh, so, 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 how do you explain that? Ray Shocker says you never accept any funds from them. So the Gemara says, Patarla Ola. So you can explain, no, we don't mean the neder of funds to be contributed. We mean that they can bring a korban, right? Our Mishnah said, what did our Mishnah said? So a neder and a nedava can mean two things. It can mean money, and it can mean a nedava, a neder of a korban. And apparently this is the difference. If my place is up and running and the entire place was built with Jewish funds and you want to come into a Jewish temple and actually, you know, bring a korban, which essentially is anyway giving acknowledgement to the Jewish God, and you're a non-Jew, you want to bring a korban. But the, but the temple is a Jewish temple. So there's also, we'll accept your korbanos, which is, you know, participating in, in, in the offerings of the temple. We will not accept your funds. That's what Rachel Lakish says. So when the Mishnah says that everybody agrees non-Jews can make a neder, it doesn't mean funds, it means bring a korban. Patar la ola, and that was the puzzle before, Adam ki akrivi kem ola, that Adam even includes a non-Jew. So the Gemara says, Nicha nodrin, fine, that's good the case if they actually make the vow themselves to bring an ola. Nodrin ola, nidrin ola, how do you have it? Low, or, um, uh, again, the text is obviously, uh, is obviously a big question, but how do you have a case of being vowed for an Ola? I can't make a vow on you that you have to bring an Ola. What does that mean to be the object of a vow for an Ola? Not to make the Ola vow. Nidrin. So, Ella, Kashamar, here's the case. Yisrael, Harei Ola, you hear a Jew saying, I'm going to bring an Ola. The Shaman Nochri, and the non-Jew hears, Amar, Mashamar Zeh Alai. Yeah, what that guy said, same for me. So that's not, it's nidri, not in the sense that I impose the vow on you, but you're not the initiator of the vow. I initiated the vow, and Benadji said, me too, so he somewhat extended the vow onto himself. Okay, but anyway, the end of the line is that it says non-Jews can make vows, but we say what it means is they can bring korbanot. According to Reish Lakish, we never actually allow them to give funds. Okay, we're going to, let's finish this. We're not done with this debate. Um, so the Gemara and this gets to the question about what if you give funds that are then used to buy something specific. So the Gemara says, so here's the Gemara's question. One minute. If a non-Jew is going to bring an Ola, with an Ola comes Nesachim, wine, wine and flour, big deal. So most Nesachim, low Sharis Inun, we have a principle that any funds that are designated for Nesachim that are left over, that goes towards buying Klisharis buying vessels in the temple. So if you accept olas from a nachri, they're going to designate the money, there's going to be leftover money, you're going to wind up using that for a klishares. That's going to turn in to a davr misuyam. 
How are we going to allow that to happen? Even according to Reb Yochanan, how are we going to allow that to happen? Nimsa maybe davar misuyam. You wind up bringing a specific thing. So hey, Reb Yosi bar Reb Ibun v'hatanin, and I'll give you ask you another question. That's you answering the question with the question. We say ne'erochin v'archin. So we, there's an opinion that says that non-Jews can be make an erech, okay? Can say erech ploni alai, the value of this person, or they can be the object of an erech. Now, what happens? What is the money when you use the term erech and you give that money? Where does that money go? Lo lebedekabayis inun. Doesn't that money go to the bedekabayis? And that should at least be a question according to Rish Lakish. How do you explain the opinion that non-Jews can make an erech, which are funds that go to bedekabayis? The hatanina, you know, heich mandat amar taman. So, how do you explain that according to Rish Lakish? You say the shemayim humitkavein umeileim himbayim either lebedekabayis or leklisharet. That they're actually look. He doesn't know what he's giving. He just says, "I'm going to give money," and we then decide how we're going to use the funds. So he gave generic money. We wind up using the funds for better kabayas, or we wind up using the funds rather than using it as operating funds. We actually buy something in the tepa for it, or we use it to buy a klishares. It wasn't a donation for a klishares. It was how we chose to use the money, and that wouldn't be a problem. You say here also. He's trying to bring an Ola with this Nesachim. He's just trying to give money or to give a Korban. Or a Leklisharis. You see, obviously, very problematic text here. The basic point being that even according to Rabbi Yochan Rish Lakish, it's only he can't say, I want this to be used for this concrete object for Rabbi Yochanan, that it can't be a Dover Nesachim. Or even for Rish Lakish, I want you to use this to help to build some part of the temple, right? You know, to better combine. But if I'm just giving money as a korban, as an offering, you know, you know, and you know, especially the non-Jews, you see, right? You know, like you know, we, we make all, you know the money itself is a type of an offering, right? They don't know what you're going to use the money for. That's your decision. You want to use it for operating funds. You want to use it for korbanos. You want to use it for better kabayis for davar mesuyim. That's not a problem because that's not what they, they're, they're, that's not allowing them to claim <coughs> mistakes. The concern is when they can, according to Rish they can claim a stake that my money went to build the building. And Rabbi Yochanan, when they can claim a stake, and that object there, that was my donation. But when, they're, when they can't claim a stake, they're just generally giving money and you decide what to do with it, that's okay. So yes, Michael, if they actually didn't give their menorah, but they gave $1,000 and said, I want you to buy a menorah for this and that's going to be my menorah, that definitely would be a problem. Or they said, you know, here's $1,000, I want you to buy something. Right. Put my name on the plaque. It'll also be a Presumably. But if they just said, here's $1,000, use it as you best see fit, you could go ahead and buy the menorah. All right. Now, um, now, where does, um, what does Reish Lakish do with, uh, hold on, what's this question? Um, uh, one minute. Oh, so the question is, one minute. Oh, so the pro- question is, I, I really already anticipated the end. It says, okay, but I don't get it. Even if you're not giving it to a specific object, it's money. In the case of Erchin, it's still money that's going to the temple. So, isn't that the same as Enamisuyim? I mean, how does that, how do you get out of the Enamisuyim for Eish Lakish? So, Ma'avid Lakish. So, Pazullah, he explains, no. Lo lachem bias The problem is when it's going, this is what I was already saying, when it's going to actually you know, contribute to the house, to the structure itself. 
So if he's just giving money and he thinks operating funds, nobody ever wants to give to operating funds. You don't get your name on operating funds. I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay for the electricity bill. Okay? So, that, so he can give to the electricity bill. If we choose to use generic operating funds for the, and then we're going to direct it to the better that's okay. But for Eshlakish, even though he does, he, he, he's a problem when it's not a Davar Misuyam, it's still only a problem when it relates to actually the house itself. When it's very generic funds and can be used for anything, then that, that money he will accept. So fascinating issue here. And then the question, of course, becomes how much does that translate outside of the base on Mikdash? But Reish Lakish's standard certainly seems to be a very hard one to maintain. Even for a Yochanan, you can't accept donations when people want to plaque by it. I mean, by, by the way, think about the fact, though, that, you know, they had this... Uh, well, no, forget it. I mean, in Yoma, you definitely find, you know, the thing about, like, the menorah that was donated by Hilmi Hamalka and this thing that was donated by this person, but they were all Jews, you know. But this idea of, like, donating things and having your names on it, you know, even Reb Yochanan would not allow that. Okay, so that we have as a debate. Reb Yochanan says... not follow that today. Right. <laughs> so just to remember, the Mishnah says Samaritans don't, even Samaritans don't give to the Shekel. There's an interesting possibility that they might be Jews, but we don't want them to give because this is, they're a different community. But the Gemara basically assumes the Mishnah is assuming that they're non-Jews. Then it says we don't accept from Samaritans and non-Jews obligatory korbanot. We accept from them free will korbanot. Ola adam ki mikem ola. But how about donations that actually go to the building of the temple itself, which is like this pasuk in Ezra, lo lachem no leaves no spayet. So there, Rabbi Yochanan says the only thing we won't accept is very specific davar misuyam, or well, we won't accept at the beginning. That's the pasuk in Ezra. Once it's built, then we'll accept general things that go to the by, to go to the building of the house but not Tavar Misuyam and Rish Lakish says we won't even accept Tavar Sha'en Misuyam if it is going to the building of the house itself yes very quickly yeah um, Herod the Great built the last temple we had yeah and his Judaism was all right, I don't know. Moving on. Okay. Okay. Reb Chizya Amar Reb Simon. So um Shaal um Shaal. So so Reb Chizya Amar Reb Simon. Anyway, it's Shaal. So Reb Chizya in the name of Reb Simon asked the following question: If you say leave note by it, maybe we don't do anything that's permanent. Maybe it's not limited to the base Hamikdash. Maybe we won't accept contributions for the city wall and for the towers. So, you know, so that, that you don't have a portion in the building of the house. It's a funny question, because it's Beit Lailohenu. It's the base of Mikdash anyway, and it doesn't really get answered. Again, as you're seeing, very, does not have the smooth flow of the Bavli. You don't exactly know, you know, exactly what the question was. Did you finish? What was the answer? But anyway, but it's not all a problem of the problematic text. Something, it's just an issue that the Yerushalmi was uh, edited, uh, finished a hundred years before the Bavli. So a lot of the smoothing out and the spelling out of things, you know, happened at the last layer of the Bavli. What we call the Stam of the Bavli is generally seemed to be the very latest layer, and that helps the sort of the narrative flow of connecting all of the statements. What you often get in the Yushalmi is you almost get like little tidbits and you don't get so what was the answer? What exactly was the question? What was the answer? You know, you just sort of get very abrupt things, and partly it's because it didn't have a hundred more years of development like the Bavli did. Okay, um, so anyway yes? Yeah, like you know the rest of the discussion, right? You know, anyway, exactly. But that's it. I mean, I, these things, obviously, discussions occurred in a context, and the amazing thing of the Bavli, with, of the Psalm, is that it provides us more of the context, not 100%, but a large part of the context. Okay, now we move on to the cop loan. Um, I sh- um, Tal, Tani, we tell him, Bryce, Elu Chayavin Bekalbon. 
The following are obligated in one korban, meaning normal people play one korban. Remei Omer, uh, or excuse me, not not the, um, not normal people. In the case of um, uh, when you give a shekel for two people, um, is one korban. Remei Omer Shnei Korban. Remei says two. So the Gemara says that Masnisa the Rebbe Meir. Our the Brita. One minute. Um, which Brita? Hold on one second. Just sorry, one second. Um, just one second. Um, oh, so it could be the statement, it could be it's referring to our Mishnah where it says, if you give a cell and get back a shekel, you pay two kobonot. Right? And we ask, why do you pay two kobonot? You give a shekel, you give back a sella. You give one shekel, you get back a half a shekel. That should just be your one transaction fee. So why does that say that you pay two kobonot? So the Gemara says, that's the Rebbe Meir. That's going according to Rebbe Meir. The Amar Rebbe Meir, because Rebbe Meir says, even though kobonot um, Torah. Um, so actually, it's a very funny girsa. Most rich of girsa that Rebbe Meir says, which basically means that the kolbon is just as much as part of the biblical shekel as the shekel as the half shekel itself. What the, let's see what the Gemara says. Okay, um, we'll see that that's like the next line. Okay, Tzavar Rabbi Meir Shalem Shuhu Patur Mikameha Kolbon. One minute. Hold on. I got to get this text straight. One minute. Um, Okay, so yeah, they totally switched the gears up. They, the, the way they switched the gears is, the no saint shekel shalem shu chayav I mean, it's completely stinking. Ain to yes, and patur to chayav. But the basic way that the uh, Mepharshim here switched the girsa is, Savar of Meir b'misha shkalo shalem shu chayav b'kalbon, and not patur de Amar, and now it gets clearer. Masnisa de Reb Meir, de Amar Rebbe Meir, you see like, you see how the text sort of doubled itself over? Actually, I read the text in parentheses. If we just skip the entire text of parentheses, it gets a little bit better. So let's just jump to the end of the parentheses. Masnisa de Rebbe Meir. Our mission is Rebbe Meir. The Amar Rebbe Meir, t'shem shishkalo Torah, kach kalbono Torah. The same way the shekel is Torah, meaning, like I said, I think that one way of explaining it is the mission that says that when you give a shekel and get back a half shekel, you pay two kolbones, that's Rebbe Meir. Because Rebbe Meir says, even a shekel by itself, a half shekel by itself, you pay a kolbone. T'shem shishkalo Torah, kach kalbono Torah. Kasava Rebbe Meir, menosin shkalo shalem, even when you pay a normal shekel, like a half, your regular half shekel, shu chayad the kalbone. Why? The Amar Rebbe Meir. Now we finally get to the explanation. Kimin matbeir shel eish. It's a hotzi akadosh baruch hu mitachas kisek fodo vereu lemoshe. The Amar lo zeyitnu this, just like this pure fire half shekel you should give. Kazeyitnu. Now what does that have to do with a kalbon? So the first one explanation is, is it means that that was completely, you know, that nothing in this world is perfect. Only the divine half shekel was perfect. Anything in this world has impurities. So therefore, how do we give a type completely pure one? You have to give an extra kalbon in order to make sure that you have the full amount. So the idea here is, again, the text is pretty corrupt, or at least one version of it, but the basic point is, where the Mishnah says, when you gave a whole shekel and you got a half shekel back, 
you pay two korbanot. Why are you paying two? It's only one transaction fee, right? So it says, no, that's Rebbe Meir. Rebbe Meir says, even a normal half shekel, you pay this amount to round off a rounding error. So when you pay, when you pay it and you get it back, you pay two. You pay a transaction fee, that's one bone, and you pay the normal bone that you always pay with your half shekel in order that you make sure that it's a full half shekel. Okay. Oy, we will end here.